Well, good morning, church. I'm going to do my best not to clear my throat into a microphone 47 times today, but it's between that and a cricket infestation. I'm not sure which one we're picking, but I'm going to do my best um, as we visit today. I hope that you're doing well. If you want to prepare yourself, um, you can turn in your Bible to Luke, <clears throat> excuse me, chapter 23. Luke chapter 23 uh, will be in verse 32 through 30. Uh, through 43 today I put my marker in the wrong place so I'll turn there with you as we get ready uh, today uh, well this is a series that I've been looking forward to for uh, quite a while as we talk about uh, heaven in fact I was hopeful <clears throat> that last year um, we would get to to this point and just a series of things changed the direction that we were going and so for the next five weeks we're going to be talking about what scripture says about heaven now I want to let you know anytime we start bending outside of scripture I'm going to let you know and what I mean by that is everything about heaven isn't contained in the word of God amen like praise Jesus because we are going to be experiencing life that we can't even comprehend now. And so the newness of that is going to be happening every day for all eternity for those who are in Christ. But that doesn't mean Scripture is silent on, on heaven. And so we're going to go through the pages of Scripture. We're going to walk through uh, each part of it. We're going to try each week to uh, answer or talk through a question that people ask regularly about heaven. And we'll, we'll talk about what Scripture says and where it points to us from that. Um, but today, what we're really talking about when we say, um, tell us about heaven or what do we mean when we talk about heaven, we're really going to focus on one little piece for the vast majority of the day. Is, and that is, what happens when we die now as even as we're singing this song this hymn of heaven like everyone i've ever known that was deeply in love with jesus christ was hopeful for his return before we died amen i've never met anyone who's like no lord i'd rather you put it off like no one ever is i've never had that conversation in that point in time one of my favorite images we talk about a pilgrim pilgrim's progress a lot is book i read at the very end of it when every christian finds their journey the celestial city which is the uh, this image of heaven is <clears throat> across the way and there's a river in front of it and everybody has to go across the river and, and in this, some go th over on a boat with no problem, and others go through with great, great trial and tribulation as if they may not make it, but all of them make it to the other side. And, and I think when we think about death as that kind of river, it starts to make us wonder and, and think about what does await us on, on the other side, so to speak. What is that celestial dwelling with God about? And what happens, Lord, if you return after I die? What, what does that go? Where do we talk about? So that's what we're talking about today. And we're unpacking the before Jesus returns uh, today. But we'll talk about our eternal dwelling the next four weeks. And we'll talk about what all of that means. In short, there's two passages of scriptures I want to let you know that tell us, if you ever wonder, what is heaven? First of all, it is the abode of God. Deuteronomy 26, 15 says this, Look down from your holy habitation from heaven so so what scripture says right here early on and we see references to heaven being the dwelling place of god is in genesis all the way through revelation it doesn't like miss a step 
But we know that when we say the word heaven, that we're really not talking about our destination. We're not talking about, we're really talking about the dwelling place of God, the abode of God. You know, when, when I was growing up, my family, we would go to my granddaddy's house in Alabama for Christmas uh, every year. And, and when we would go there, mom and dad would say, get in the car, we're going to granddaddy's. We never corrected her and said, do you mean the place we're gonna spend the next seven days, get lots of presents, have sweet goodies all the time? see all of our relatives and all the people we haven't seen in a long time and I can't wait to play hide and seek my mom would have said no we're going to granddaddy's those things may happen there but we're going to granddaddy's house you follow me here when we talk about heaven I think a lot of times we want to talk about all the things of heaven but we miss that what makes heaven heaven is it's the abode of God like that's the dwelling place of God. So Deuteronomy 26, 15. The second thing is, and I think this is where maybe our little child at Christmas comes in. Um, in Colossians chapter one, verse three through five, it'll talk about that heaven is the place where our hope is laid up. In fact, our motivation in living out and living the gospel in, in just being saturated in, in the gospel is that our hope is laid up in heaven. If there was no resurrection, then the gospel is pointless. I want you to hear me say that. And I can say that with strength and power because scripture declares it loud and clear. If there is no resurrection, then this is all pointless. But we know that there is and, and we've gone through that before. So it is all right to be excited about heaven because honestly, that should be our motivation in our Christian life. That we are living in drenched, washed in the blood of the Lamb, if you are in Christ Jesus. And that the whole purpose of that is for one day to you to have union with God in such a way to where your abode can be with Him forever. Like, that's it. And so when we talk about Christianity, it, it's not just rescuing from, it's rescued for. And that's why heaven is so central. We just really are, are great, fantastic pictures of things that are difficult. Now, when scripture says heaven, you'll see the word plural sometimes in scripture. There's a difference between what we say as a believer as the word heaven, the abode of God, the place where our hope is laid up, and the heavens. God does not live on another planet. Uh, the universe can't contain him. How do we know that? We can look just directly to scripture. Isaiah chapter 40. We talked about it a couple of weeks ago with the kids. If God measures the heavens in the span of his hand, then that is not big enough for him to dwell in. Amen? You follow me? So, so, so we know the heavens aren't it. First um, Kings chapter 8, 27 says the heavens can't even contain. They can't even contain him. And so we know that there's a difference between heaven and our universe or the heavens, the things outside of the earth. So all those things come into that. So today we'll get into that, but I need to, I need to just give you an honest uh, lay, layout of what perspective I'm coming from. Let me tell you what heaven is not. Heaven is not a VBRO or an Airbnb, amen? It is not somewhere people go and visit for a few days to relax and then come back and make a lot of money telling people about their vacation. Amen? I, I want you to know very seriously, if we read accounts of heaven, of people who've, who've gone and came back, and although I'm sad I'm not there, but I'm really rich, I want you to know 
Jesus is not the focus of that book. It seems like everybody else is a focus of that book, all the other things. And, and I, I think we need to be very careful. I love what Scripture says when Paul talks about someone, and he didn't know if it was in a vision or not. I think visions are real. I think and believe that people have visions of heaven, but I do not believe that, that God flew their plane in, they got out, toured the place, got a high five from Jesus, and Jesus said, thanks for buying my timeshare, and I'll go back home, I'll see you in a few decades. I don't think that holds up to Scripture, but I do think that visions of heaven do hold up to Scripture. And I want us to be very careful not to mix the two up, okay? You follow me? And that, that's a truth. If, if you disagree with that, that's all right. I just want to know, you know where I'm coming from and from Scripture reasons why I believe that's the case. Because once you and I are in the presence of God Almighty, He's not ripping you out and you're okay with it. You follow me? So, so I want to let you know those are my thoughts on heaven. Um, when I think about heaven, I think about recently we had this uh, spacecraft, the DART spacecraft go up. Did you hear about this? Um, we sent a spacecraft. I wanted to call it a satellite. This is Earth. I'm not really a good Earth drawer, but I feel like it looks something like this. Okay, so that's Earth. If it was green, you would like it more. But, but we sent something, and there's this asteroid out here. And from my best understanding, if I know some of you work at NASA. You can correct me, not in public. But out here, there's an asteroid. And around this asteroid, there are different asteroids. Am I doing well so far? Okay, I'm doing well. So around this asteroid, there are different asteroids. And, and what we've been trying to figure out is this asteroid is on a trajectory, not, not close to Earth. And so it's good. We can play with things that aren't, you know, we, we don't want to play with things that are going to hit us. But there's an asteroid out here. So we had to send a spacecraft from here to try to hit this asteroid revolving around an asteroid. And here's what we're trying to do. We're trying to, to get the trajectory right that gets this little bitty spacecraft from way over here to way out here. And when we do it, we're trying to hit an asteroid, surrounding an asteroid, just right, so that we can change its trajectory from doing this to anything else, basically. All right? And so there's two trajectories that were really important in this mission. One was making sure you got the spacecraft to hit the target. Like, that's key. If, if, you, if the first trajectory fail, the separate second trajectory doesn't really matter, right? The second thing is, when this hits here, does the trajectory change? And in this mission, the goal was to hopefully change the way that it started surrounding the, the asteroid by about 10 minutes. It ended up changing it by three times that. So the impact of this little thing changed this asteroid to make this huge impact in its trajectory, well, when we think about heaven, this is the best, I mean, you can probably do a better picture, but this is the best picture I could come up with. That, that God has impacted our life and changed our trajectory. And, and in that, there's a journey that we're talking about that will one day, that will one day allow us to, to encounter him fully and completely. And so I want you to think about heaven and you and me in this idea of a trajectory in that. When we talk about um, heaven, um, I want you to know what's 
what's kind of popular, and, and I don't know that I, um, I don't know that I like the word interim or the word intermediate. But when we talk about heaven, we look at scripture, what we tend to think about is what happens when we die or Jesus comes back and we're combined with him. We think about one point. And what scripture tends to talk about is that you and I and everyone, when we die, that, that we are physically somewhere else. And that's what we're gonna talk about. But until the Lord establishes the new heaven and the new earth, this is not our permanent, P-E-R-M-A-N-E-N-T, this is not our permanent dwelling, right? Our permanent dwelling, we are with God, who is our permanent dwelling place, so to speak. But if you're talking about the physical dwelling, that's the new heaven and the new earth, which has not come yet, okay, you follow me? This was really hard for me growing up. I had to think through this, and why we're getting here today, because I've grown up in church, heaven is always just one, and heaven is heaven because it is the what? The abode of God, right? So when you die, you are in the presence of God. That's what we're gonna talk about. So you're in heaven, but your final dwelling place is when God makes all things new, the new heaven and the new earth, which is also his abode. It's like he's building a new house. You follow me in that a little bit? I want you to catch me on this because we're gonna walk through scripture on, on this, and this gets really confusing for a good old boy who's been in VBS since I was about eight years old, right? Since heaven is the dwelling place of God, when you die as a believer, you are with him. Therefore, you're in heaven. But that is not your final home because God is making something new. We'll talk about what that is. Now, interestingly enough, if you were to go into scripture and you're looking at Revelations, you would also say that those without God have a death and then are resurrected to judgment and have a second death. And so scripture is pretty, pretty great and consistent in talking about this is separation from God, therefore it's not heaven. And therefore this is separated permanently from God, therefore it's not heaven. All right? <clears throat> so I, I told a friend of mine uh, this week to pray for me that this didn't feel like seminary class to you because I fell asleep in seminary way often. I don't want you to, to miss it today. But, but I just know sometimes we get caught up in details of words like interim or intermediate and all those kinds of things. He, if heaven is the abode of God and God, Deuteronomy 26, dwells in heaven and when you die, you are with the Lord, you are in heaven, even though that is not the new earth and new heaven that we articulate and think of in Revelation. Are you following with me there? So God didn't make up like, counterbalances to this now, one of the biggest questions and I almost saved this for the end but I want to get it to the beginning because I, I think it's a very important question for a lot of people for our hearts but it's not overly important when it comes to scripture okay uh, and so I want to I want to get this out of the way at the beginning um, because I've had people ask many many times can people who have died and gone to heaven can they see what's going on here on earth right now Right, this, this, is, this is what it comes out. Let, let me tell you what scripture doesn't tell us, the clear answer. I mean, that's, if I'm being completely honest with you, there, there's probably a, a 
decent shift, and I'll tell you why it doesn't matter in a, whole, in a minute, but scripture isn't clear on that, on whether someone who has died and is in heaven can, can see or is looking down on us. I mean, a few, a few things come into this, and, and I'll tell you why I, I think there's an awareness. Um, and again, this is where I wanna let you know, this is where I said I think there's an awareness. We can look at uh, Luke chapter 15, verse nine. It says, when a sinner turns to repentance, the angels do what? They celebrate before God in heaven. I, I don't think God's putting earmuffs on people in heaven like, don't tell the people who died. Are you, you following me? So I, so I feel like that. We can see in Revelations passages, maybe the best passage of scripture is um, Hebrews chapter 12, verse one, right? Since therefore, since, there is such a, so, since we are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses, let us lay us also lay aside every weight and sin which hangs closely to us. Um, let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. So, so the right of Hebrews could be, could be letting us know, hey, we're literally surrounded by that great cloud of witnesses. Um, what's shaky about that is the word witness is actually the testimony. Basically, since we're surrounded by such a great testimony and we just followed all the heroes of the faith, let, let's basically live in that story. And so, um, so I think that, that scripture can kind of lean us into that as well. But, but if, if those who have died in Christ and have gone before us can look down, I want you to know scripture is really clear that they have already been made new. So they're seeing anything and everything with new perfect eyes that God has given them. Not, not brokenhearted loved one eyes. Not reliving the pain that God rescued them from. Are you, are you following me on that? <clears throat> and again, the central truth of heaven is that Jesus is your all in all there. And try not to do habits, but I know when I try to get serious, I take my glasses off. It's like Superman. But listen, if my wife and children go to heaven before I do, I would bet you everything that ever existed that the David Adams sitcom is not as good as what they're being watching in real life. You follow me? Hey, I think we have to be very careful that sentimentalism, that, that, that broken earthly stuff doesn't make us make heaven into something that it's not. If Jesus is our all in all, then if people in heaven can look down on earth, they are seeing it through the eyes of the all and all one. And they're not captivated by, you know, I watched you, God, I, I love them getting up today. They're just, that would be unscriptural. I mean, there will be a day when we are all raised and we will see face to face and it will be an incredible reunion and we'll talk about that. But to think that heaven is a picture of a lot of people looking over the side of the rail while the king of kings and lord of lords sits there with a sign that says, hey guys, is blasphemy. And so what they would see in heaven would have to be filtered through the glory of God. Would have to be. And, and here's why. When I was growing up, I waited tables to get through college and paid the bills. I worked at a seafood restaurant and on every plate, every plate, we put the same thing, a kale garnish with a slice of lemon. You follow me? 
Do you know out of the hundreds or thousands of seafood plates I served, no one ever said, ah, the kale is here. I mean, it was nice to have on the plate, but no one was captivated by that. Church, Jesus is the everything and all of our relationships, all the good things about heaven are kale on the dish of the abode of God. So now that we've muttered the water well and I have about 20 minutes left, you ready to get in the sermon? Luke chapter 23, verse 32 through 42. Again, today, this is, we're gonna focus the main part of what I think scripture points to as what we would call heaven before the new uh, heaven and new earth are created. Luke chapter 23, verse 32 through 42 says it this way. Uh, two others who were criminals. Uh, if you don't, aren't familiar with the story, um, this is the story of the crucifixion. Um, Jesus um, is on the cross. Um, he's being nailed to the cross and a sinless man is about to die. God in the flesh is about to die for the sins of all those who are killing him and are on the cross next to him. And this is the conversation. <clears throat> two others who were criminals were led away to be put to death with him. And when they came to the place that is called the skull, there they crucified him. Uh, the criminals. One on his right and one on his left. And Jesus says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And they cast lots to divide his garments. And the people stood by watching, and the rulers scoffed at him, saying, He saved others. Let him save himself, if he is the Christ, the Son of God, Christ of God, the chosen one. And the soldiers also mocked him, coming up and offering him sour wine, saying, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was also an inscription over him, This is the king of the Jews. Now all this is going on, and one of the criminals who were hanged and railed at him, saying, are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. Now, now just a pause. This is totally free. This guy's hedging his bets. He's like, I don't believe, but if you're able to do it, you know, be kind to a brother. Verse 40, but the other one, he rebuked him, the other criminal, and he said, do you not fear God since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we are receiving the due rewards for our deeds, but this man has done nothing wrong. And he said to Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he, Jesus, said to him, the thief on the cross, truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. As we walk through this, church, I, I don't think there's enough time to walk through everything that would be uh, delightful to walk through. But the simplicity of this passage, the recording of it in Scripture, the, the reality that it is not just God breathed, breathed and inspired in Scripture, but that God breathed it as he said it on earth, <clears throat> that, that this is huge, and it speaks greatly to what happens to you and I in Christ, not to everybody, but to those who have confessed Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior. What happens when we die? I, I think the context, the simplicity, and the clarity all matter. So that's what we're gonna walk through. First of all, the context. Christ talks here of an immediate future. 
All right? Christ talks right here of an immediate future. He says to him, truly I say to you, when? Today you will be with me in paradise. And what's interesting about the, all of that is it's immediate. He's like, basically, you're going to die today and I'm going to yield my spirit. I'm going to die today and you will be with me in paradise. The, the clarity of that is, is huge. This is very different than what we read in the Old Testament. This is even different than what John chapter 14, um, verse 3 would say. Is Jesus says, listen, if I go to play a prayer place for you, won't I come back for you? It's almost this future talk. This isn't future talk. If you read the Old Testament, it's looking forward to a day. If we read the New Testament about his return and the new heaven and the new earth and his rule, that's a future day. But what Jesus talks about to the thief on the cross, when you die, when I die, today we will be together. Now, this is very different. This is, this is not a, a, a pattern throughout Scripture. This is Jesus telling someone who has said, remember me, I, I, I submit myself. I, I, I'm, I'm receiving your forgiveness. Remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he says, well, today you won't leave my side. So, so first of all, I want you to know when you die that day, you are with the Lord. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ. Now, now, you might say, does it happen like 30 seconds after you die? Well, Jesus said today. He didn't say in 47 seconds. <clears throat> a seminary professor made me decide not to be a preacher, actually, the theology of Paul. So the day I came home from this conversation in class, and I said, Christy, I'm, I want to be a youth minister for the rest of my life. I'm, I'm dropping out of this part of a seminary. And she's like, good. Well, we were having a conversation about what happens when you die, and and a popular thought is that, a popular, a semi-popular thought, is that when you die, there's a thing called soul sleep, right? Um, that when you die, you're just in the ground or the ocean or, you know, frozen in ice on top of so whatever until the resurrection, but it will feel instantaneous when Jesus comes back. So it's not like you're waiting for like thousands of years. It, I mean, you are, but it just feels instant, and, and he was saying why his opinion is, and he talked about resurrecting from the grave and some of these scriptures, and, and there's some scripture that's really good, and it does talk about resurrection in our bodies, and I think scripture addresses that pretty clearly. But Jesus, I, I think, in a way that's impossible to argue, he's recorded in Matthew and in Luke saying the same thing. He says to the Sadducees when they're trying to quiz him, you have got it wrong. Because God is not God of the dead, but of the what? Of the living. And that is an active, present tense word. See, what Jesus says is that God is the God of the living. Those who have died are alive with him, in him, through him, and because of him. And so when you die, and when someone you love dies... I think you have to go through an immovable wall that says you are not in the presence with the Lord then. Because you have to go through the words of Christ that talk about the, the immediate future. 
that God is the God of the living and that today we're with him. So one, I, I don't think there's a holding period. I, I don't think like you have to wait and like watch your good deeds versus your bad deeds of life and wait for the judge to decide at the end. That's not there. So first of all, it's immediate. When you die, you are with the Lord and that is heaven because it's the boat of God, right? So first of all, we see the context. It's immediate. I love its simplicity. It's not just today you'll be with me in paradise. It's today you'll be with who? With me. I, I love this um, picture of it because before we get to, to paradise, I think this is scripturally accurate. Deuteronomy chapter 26, heaven is the abode of God. Jesus says, listen, today you will be with me. He doesn't say, when you die, just want to let you know, I'm going to like bus drive you to heaven, drop you off, and I'll come back later on for you. In this moment, Jesus, one, says, I am the Lord. Like, we're one. But he, but he also claims it as his. Today you will be with me. Church, there is no biblical, scriptural, foundation, idea, thought of heaven where Jesus, where the Father are not central and holistically permeating everything and that is why it's heaven. All the great things about heaven that we will read is because of the presence of God. All the victories, all the kingdoms, all the nations, all the work, all the joy, all the rest, it's all central to him and him alone. And so when Jesus says, today you'll be with me in paradise, he is saying, you'll be there, and because we are there, it will be paradise, it's heaven. Well, but God, I heard that heaven has all these things. Just me, me. When Jesus prays for his disciples, he prays for oneness. He prays for that relational bond and proximity. <clears throat> it's the presence of God. It's the presence of the Lord. It's the presence of Christ that makes heaven, heaven. And on this world, this life that we live in, can kind of going back to my incredible artistic drawing here, between heaven and, and what we would call death, Here's what scripture says. In Matthew chapter five, it says right now in this in-between, I love C.S. Lewis, we call it the shadow lands. In this in-between, the grace that is all consuming in heaven, is, it's shared on the just and the unjust. In other words, whether you know Jesus Christ or not, believe it or not, why this world has any sort of goodness in it is because God is sharing part of his presence with us, his grace with us, his characteristics with us. In Jesus, he shared God in the flesh with us. And so in that, we, we have this moment and, and so when you and I think of heaven, we think of how do we know then that we see in a mirror dimly? This is what Paul would say in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Why do we see in a mirror dimly? Well, praise God, we can see anything at all, but it's dim because it's just, it's just a scattering. 
But one day, when you and I die, we are with Christ, so we get to see him fully. That doesn't mean you can comprehend him fully, amen? Right? I was walking through buying an outfit for my wife early on. We were newlyweds. I didn't have a lot of money. I didn't know how to pick clothes. So I walked into Kohl's, saw the first thing on the mannequin and brought it home. Nice yellow top, nice floral red skirt. I remember it. <laughs> Christy, <laughs> she said, I said, I bought you something. She said, that's great. She pulls it out. She's like, this looks like something your mom would wear. Oh, I, I might think my mom has good style, apparently. I saw it, but I didn't comprehend it. You follow me? <laughs> so, so anyone in here, and we'll talk about it way more next time, that thinks when you get into heaven, all of a sudden you're a big head and know everything. That's ridiculous. But you will see fully. See, there's no... There's no dots in this square. Because to be absent from even a taste of the grace of God, that's death. What would make death in Hades? What would make hell so bad? And we can picture all this man-made stuff that we want to put in our minds. But the reality is that it, it lacks even a taste of the goodness of God, of the grace of God, of his presence. It is fully consumed with us and our sin. Matthew chapter 22 and verses all over scripture say that when you and I are with heaven, with Christ, that we are feasting. This picture of fullness, of delight because of the hands of our king. There, there becomes no part of it where it's not connected to, saturated with the goodness and the presence of the Lord. So when you die, if you're a believer in Christ, you're immediately somewhere and we'll talk about that you're immediately in a place and you're with the Lord and it is more than we have here because oh man this is where my illustration I, my box is too big y'all I apologize now now you know I'm a bad artist I know that was hard to believe but imagine that box full it's just solid with the Lord so, so we know those things. Finally, he says this, going back to scripture. We're just gonna hit this verse over and over again. Today, you will be with me in, Bible says, paradise. Now, this is interesting. I wanna be very, very careful because the word paradise is interchangeable for heaven throughout it. But the word in is the most important part of this to me before we get there, right? Today, immediately, you'll be with me, the abode of God, right? The dwelling place of the Lord, in paradise it is a real place it's not a thought it's not a figurative language it's not this picture it's not this imaginary stuff in paradise and the word paradise is really important as well but i want you to know when you you die i i do not believe and we'll talk about our resurrected body later on what that looks like we we don't see this fullness of the resurrection to come I mean, it's going to be a incredible as we walk through it but we are with God in a real place that is paradise and God doesn't leave our mind off on this um, the root of this word um, is not traditionally like a, a Hebrew or a, or a Greek word um, it's actually like a uh, an, a Persian word in there and the word means uh, a garden a walled-off garden 
or what we would say, Eden. Now, why would Christ use a word like that to someone on the cross next to him? Why would he even speak it out loud? Well, it's not the new heaven and the new earth, but Eden should conjure up a real image for you and me, a place where sin was not welcome. In fact, when Adam and Eve sinned, they were kicked out. A place where God communed with them. It says he walked in the garden. A place where God provided for their every need. A place where there was joy and work. A place where there was rest and community. This word that Christ used, he could have just literally, he could have said, when the thief said, remember me today when you come into your kingdom, he could have just said, okay. Right? He could have just said, done. He could have said, hey, today. He could have used the word back to him, in my kingdom. It would have been totally appropriate. Why did he use the word paradise? I believe that the Lord over and over through scripture woos us, draws us to let us know that what we are in now, the life that we live in now, is tainted and stained by the marks of sin and it is not going to be a place like that. That you and I, when we are with Christ, when we die or when he returns again, that we will be in a place untouched by sin where God provides fullness, fullness, where life is experienced to its utmost. Today you will be with me in paradise. Now, because I need to make the transition to next week, if you were to go in your Bible to Revelations, uh, let Revelation chapter 21 in Scripture I'm going to turn there. This is a bad marker day for me. And we'll hit this in a lot more detail coming up. But I want to let you know that if you die, and if I die, and for our loved ones who have died, in Christ Jesus, before the Lord establishes a new heaven and new earth, that that will be different. Verse 21, chapter 21, verse 1. And then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first were earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. <clears throat> I, I want to show you guys a picture, and I showed it to you a, a few weeks ago when we were talking about heaven, and I know it's kind of bright if you have to watch on the screen. But an ancient Hebrew, uh, Hebrew uh, mindset of of creation and the universe is that the earth is here and this is the universe the heavens and whatnot and underneath it you know is this firmament and and it's surrounded by waters and and the ideas of these upper seas that are here are that they 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 kind of separate the firmament separates um, our existence our world and the heavens the abode of god um now, if you want to have a little bit of fun, this great deep is an interesting thought because I read an article last week that they just found, unbelievably, a rock saturated with water uh, under the earth's core. Crazy, as if water could have once upon a time soaked up and started flooding the earth from below and above. What a crazy thought. But when we talk about heaven, in chapter 21, this is what it says. 
the sea is no more. There is no more separation between heaven and earth that God has brought a unity in that. And let me tell you, right now, there is not a unity because one is broken and drenched in sin and one is the abode of the living God. But what scripture says really clearly, not my word, but his, but one day seas will be removed and there will be a new heaven and new earth and that separation that you and I experience because of sin will not exist in creation. Not just a place, but in all of it. And that's what we'll be unpacking over the next few weeks. But the reality is, none of this matters if this will not be your home. Scripture says that the good news is like an incense. It's a sweet aroma to the saints, but it's the stench of death to the dying. As I've read and studied and read other people's thoughts about heaven, they're like, Christianity has the best and the worst. There's no better picture of heaven than Christianity provides. I mean, please look at other religions. Some religions say all the things you can't have now, that's what heaven's gonna be like. Believe it or not, that's a biblical definition of hell is thinking that indulgence and eternal joy can be found in the abundance of the things that God calls sinful. And there are those that just say, you just keep get to reliving life and watch society keep improving itself because obviously we're great at that. What, what scripture says is God gave his son so that you and I wouldn't have to experience the best that we would ever experience in a broken darkness, stained and beat up by sin that you and I could live in Christ knowing that once we are in him, we have been set apart for a newness that will never stop and will only get better because of him. The opposite side is true. There really is no other religion. There's no other word that says it's all or nothing. God is the source of all that is good. And hell and death is really hell and death. Not because of fire. Not because of darkness. But because it lacks the complete and utter presence and the grace of God. not to be afraid more than we are to have hope. Because hell is the option that is chosen. 
And life in Christ is the option that is offered. When Jesus says, I go to prepare a place for you. If it weren't so, I wouldn't have told you that, but I'll come back for you. The disciples would say, Lord, how will we know the way to where you are? He says, you know the way. I am that way. There's never been another way. There will be, never be another way. I am the plan. I am the truth of that plan. And I am the life of that plan. So this morning, I want you to know that that offer stands for you. But not in your broken sinfulness. But like a thief on the cross saying, we deserve it. I, I own that I am broken. But Jesus Christ, he was sinless. He was perfect. He's done nothing wrong. So because I am broken, and Lord, because you are perfect, I know that you can offer what I can't obtain. So would you remember me? Would you be my Lord? Would you, would you let me trust you with my life? Church, no one in this room was born a Christian. No one in this room has been a Christian your whole life. Because when you started breathing, you started choosing sin, just like me. But today, today, if you have never given your life to Jesus Christ, then I am telling you, like the thief on the cross, all you have to do is begin your journey by saying, God, I am guilty. Jesus, you are not and you are worthy. Would you rescue and rule my life? Let's pray together. Father God, Lord, we love you. Lord, the reality that you would give us the opportunity to abide with you. In fact, you would pray that we would abide with you, that you would invite us to abide with you is, is unthinkable. This grace-smattered, sin-stained world, this life that we live is all that we know, and we try to cling to it and make it better. But God, all, all we ought to do is just steward it for your glory as an offering to the King of kings and Lord of lords who made a way who offered a truth that we could not conjure and shared life with us. Father, we long for heaven and it will be good to see loved ones. Uh, it'll be amazing to experience what that life will be like, unending and, and exciting and incredible. But all of that is kale on the dish of abiding unhindered with our Father, our Abba, our King of Kings, our Lord of Lords. So Lord, if there is any man or woman, boy or girl in this room today that maybe thought until this moment that they were born a Christian, 
maybe they thought until this moment that they could figure out good versus bad deeds. Maybe they thought that if they died and they weren't right, they would have time to fix it. Lord, right here, right now, say, this is the time, God. Lord, would you let them like the thief on the cross look over to you and offer and ask all that they are, sinful brokenness and confession for all that you are, perfect truth, life, unstained, King of kings and Lord of lords. Oh, we long for more of you in Jesus' name, amen.